Behind the Headlines, the New Israel Fund's podcast sharing insight and analysis from activists in Israel. You're listening to Kalela Lancaster with the latest edition of the New Israel Fund's podcast Behind the Headlines. Last week, Jerusalem played host to the largest pride parade ever to take place in the city, with a reported 25,000 people joining the march for pride and tolerance in memory of Shira Banki, the teenager who was murdered in a horrific knife attack by a religious extremist at last year's pride parade. The build-up to this year's parade in Jerusalem was fraught, to say the least. The week before saw the cancellation of a pride parade in Belsheva by Israel's police citing security concerns, although the move was broadly felt to be a capitulation to pressures from rabbis in the city. Nonetheless, thousands turned out to a protest march in Belsheva in place of the planned parade there. And in the build-up to these two marches, we've seen some extremely fiery debate in the public arena around LGBTQ rights in Israel, as wildly homophobic sentiments have been expressed by rabbis holding very significant positions. We had dramas around the appointment of Rabbi Eyal Karim as the next chief rabbi of the IDF. Rabbi Karim notoriously made comments in the past which seemed to suggest an interpretation of halakha that would grant soldiers the right to rape enemy women. He has referred to homosexuals as being sick or deformed and has said that gay people must be helped, this is a quote, to escape their situation with a lot of sensitivity and patience. We then had the storm around comments made by Rabbi Yigal Levenstein, the head of the Bnei David pre-army preparatory yeshiva, through which many of the religious senior IDF officers have passed. Rabbi Levenstein said, there's a crazy movement here of people who have just lost the normalcy of life and this group is driving an entire country crazy. It's going into the army at full strength and nobody dares open their mouth to speak up. He's speaking here about, uh, about LGBT people going into the army. So in response to the substantial backlash against these comments in Israel, 250 other rabbis, some also very senior, signed a letter of support for Rabbi Levenstein. And finally, we have another drama relating to Rabbi Rami Brachiau, who is tipped to become the rabbi of Israel's police force and who has made waves by stipulating that landlords should not rent apartments to gay couples. So it seems we have a situation of rabbis versus the LGBTQ community in Israel. Uh, it's a very grave situation, but I'm delighted to be hosting two fantastic guests on this month's podcast who are going to share their thoughts on this situation and think together about ways of moving forward in these very difficult times. From Israel, we have Mickey Gitsin, Tel Aviv city councillor, a prominent LGBTQ rights activist and the director of NIF grantee Be Free Israel, which works to advance religious freedom and tolerance in Israel. From the UK, we have Benjamin Ellis, founder and director of Keshet UK, which works in the UK Jewish community to promote equality and diversity, to advance education and eliminate discrimination against members of Britain's Jewish LGBTQ community. So, Mickey, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hi, Mickey. Hi. <laughs> okay, great. So we've got all the voices out. So, first of all, Mickey, I just want to say a thank you for hosting so fabulously the New Israel Fund's live stream of Jerusalem Pride. It was really fantastic. You did a great job. And for me, it really allowed me to connect from afar. Can you just tell us, before we talk about the, the dip, difficult atmosphere and the, all the problems that I mentioned in the introduction, can you tell us a little bit about how the march was? How, it, how did it feel to be part of this historic moment in Jerusalem? So, as you just mentioned, it really felt like an historic moment. I feel like 
after many years of, of struggle in Jerusalem, all of a sudden this, this parade felt like a large human rights demonstration, not only a demonstration for LGBTQ rights, but generally it kind of like put together people from diverse backgrounds, from diverse religious perspectives together, and they stood there as one group against extremism. And I feel that we kind of like needed to have these really extreme voices to come so violently and loudly in order, in order for us to be together. Because I met at this parade people I, I never thought I would ever meet in any parade in any city in the world. And they decided like who? to come. Because like what kind of people? What, who was so, so surprising that you met? Mainly Orthodox people, people that come from more traditional and, and, and religious backgrounds, but, more, but also a few Palestinians, people who are not very involved in any social action or political change. They don't see their life as part of the struggle. And all of a sudden, I saw, I saw them there. And last but not least, you know, children, like families of children, you know, with children, young children, friends of mine that you know, never thought bringing their kids into a demonstration, they marched with us and it was really powerful, I think so. Wow. I mean, I was watching, I was watching the live stream, I was following posts on Facebook and so forth, and it was really very moving. It was one of those moments where I felt particularly sad not to be in Israel. I want to uh, talk to you a bit about this, Benjamin. I'm sure you also follow, to, to, to a certain extent, the march from afar, um, uh, and I'm wondering what your opinion is. You know, what does it, what does it mean to you this kind of uh, display that Mickey's described? What does pride in Jerusalem mean for for a gay person living in the diaspora? So I think when um, people think about Israel and pride, people think about Tel Aviv pride, and right. that's what lots of people in the UK and I think worldwide would think about and associate. Um, with gay life in Israel, with the carnival, with the celebration, with the party. Um, and sometimes people ask me if I'm going to go to Pride in Israel, and they inevitably mean, would I go to Tel Aviv Pride? But the truth is, for me as a diaspora gay Jew, the only Pride I would ever dream of going to would be Jerusalem Pride. And I also was really sad not to have been able to be there this year. Um, I think Tel Aviv Pride, in a way is a celebration in some way of Israeliness, but maybe it doesn't touch so much on the Jewishness of the character of part of Israel, part of Israeliness, um, which is Jewishness for, for a large number of Israeli citizens. And I think for those of us living in the diaspora, our connection to Israel is through the Jewishness. And, and that's what Jerusalem pride, I suppose, then represents, which is, and, and, and in a way, that's why there has been so much conflict. And what seems to have happened this year, the, the success and the, and, and the moment that Jerusalem Pride was this year is so much more meaningful because it happens in a city which is so much about religion. And so means, I think it means that much more to diaspora LGBT people. Well, absolutely. And there was quite a furore around comments by uh, the mayor of Jerusalem, Nir Barkat, who said he wouldn't be joining the march because he was concerned that it would offend religious people. And as Mickey says, in fact, the religious people turned out in force at the march and there was a strong religious feeling at the march. I mean, I saw videos of people dancing um, to religious music 
at the march in a very kind of joyful and spiritual way. Did you did you see much of that, Mickey? So I, I would actually want to start with the, with the good news. I think that the fact that the divides in Israeli society are not anymore the regular divides that we're used to. You know, secular and religious, Jews and Arabs and all, all of, of those divides. I think that we're looking at those who are, you know, the progressive camp in Israel that has people different backgrounds, people with perspective, and what I call who don't see themselves part of the liberal progressive uh, group in Israel. And there, again, you can see secular people and religious people at the same time. And Neil Berkat, in many ways, decided to put himself as part of the non-democratic, non-progressive camp in Israel, not, because, not only because he decided not to come to the parade. We all knew he's not going to be there. But he made a clear political decision to have himself on, on, on the front page of the major, major newspaper in Israel. You know, so it was important for him not only to, to avoid coming, but actually it was very important for him to, be, to say it out loud. And I think it's a pity, and I think it says a lot about him. Right, and especially uh, where we have a situation where, the where, where, where really the Western democratic world is really moving forward on issues relating to gay rights. And we have gay marriage laws being passed all over the place. We have political leaders and, lead of and, and mayors and leaders of cities uh, marching proudly with pride parades all over the world. We had Canada's Justin Trudeau in a very moving video. And we had uh, London Sadiq Khan uh, in London's Pride. And it's a sense that there's a kind of club of progressive nations that are really moving forward on, uh, on issues relating to the LGBT community and, uh, and gay rights. And despite the fact that Tel Aviv is definitely considered to be very progressive in relation to, uh, to, to, the, to the LGBTQ community and that it's ranked amongst leading cities in the world for, let's say, for gay tourism, for example, um, what we're really seeing, what we've seen over the last few weeks, that Israel is not so much within that club of progressive nations. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Mickey, do you think that Israel is, reg is regressing on uh, gay rights do, do you feel that members of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. in Israel are feeling under attack? No, not at all. Okay. I want to I I actually look at what's happening now and, and say something that would be a bit weird. Things are coming out. Actually, it's not anymore in closed rooms. We are talking about it. And, and clearly, what happens now, that rabbis that used to say the same thing for ages, for years in Israel, all of a sudden, when they say something offensive against the LGBTQ community, the entire Israeli society, I would say, stand against them. All right. of a sudden, it's not legitimate to say, you know, bad words or, or, or to speak the way they spoke against LGBT people. And I think that actually it comes from a very powerful position of the LGBT community and not from a weak point. At the same time, we need to understand and we look at we don't speak only on the LGBT community. We're looking at people that said it clearly, and this is also what Rabbi Levinstein uh, said at this horrible speech. He fights against liberal values. The, the world pluralism, the world progressive thinking, this is what he actually fights against, and this is what he is afraid that will be in the army and other 
the LGBTQ community is the best example that he chose as an example to value. And I think that it's also very important for us as LGBT activists to look at us as, as part of a bigger over Israel's future and not only on our own issues because it's not about us. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's a very interesting perspective, uh, kind of, uh, there's an expression in Israel called a fuch ala fuch, right? Mm -hmm. uh, upside down on upside down. I don't think, it doesn't work translated. <laughs> but, yeah. but what you're saying is that we should look at what's happening with homophobic statements coming out and we should really see that the broader picture here is, is that there's a sort of a clash of values, but the progressive values are stronger and the society is not accepting these kinds of statements and these kinds of worldviews uh, anymore. And I'm, I'm going to bring Benjamin in again uh, because I think it's interesting also to, um, to have a bit of a perspective from the diaspora. I mean, you know, Keshet... That the, the organization that, Benja, that Benjamin um, is, is chair of does a lot of educational work within the community. And I, I presume that, Benjamin, that you go into synagogue communities and you work with rabbis and senior figures and, and some of the rabbinic uh, and organizational institutions within the British Jewish community. Um, and so I'm interested to hear from you your perspective um, on these kinds of comments. I mean, do you think that these kinds of views that have been expressed in Israel by these by these senior rabbis are prevalent within uh, diaspora communities or other or, or or not so much anymore what 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 do you come across in your work i think what i want to say is to really support what mickey um has said is that inclusion is a process it's not a moment um and it's all too easy in the context of a news cycle to pick the words or the actions of one person and focus on that so when a mayor does or does not appear at a particular event or when a particular rabbi um, speaks up that makes a great headline mm. but it doesn't reflect necessarily what's going on um, in the underlying social conversation and so i think we have something similar here and we certainly do have rabbinic voices um, or voices from Jewish leaders um, or faith leaders in this country that are not supportive of LGBT inclusion. But we also have voices um, that are incredibly supportive and we have a huge number of voices in between as well. And I think for Kesha UK, one of the things that we try to focus on is finding common ground. So it's very easy when somebody is stumbling um, and not doing a brilliant job of being inclusive. It's really easy to say, oh, you did this, you didn't say this, you didn't get it right. But sometimes it's a little bit braver to be able to say, you didn't get everything right, but you got a little bit right. So let's find that common cause. Hmm. So for example, in this country, um, the Orthodox chief rabbi, um, Ephraim Mervis, put out a statement after the Orlando shootings, which was by no means perfect. And several Orthodox rabbis approached me saying, why in his statement did he have to mention the Torah prohibition against <laughs> men having sex with men? Why did he, of all things, why did he have to bring that up? But at the same time, in the same statement, he also said that the Torah is against homophobia. And he also said that batikneset, synagogues, shuls should be welcoming, must be welcoming of LGBT people. Now, that's a tremendous statement of inclusion. Right. Just it came alongside some something which actually a lot of us didn't want to hear repeated, especially after Orlando. Mm. So we made a, a decision, and I think it was the right decision, Keshet UK made a decision to support the parts of the statement that were incredible, that were inclusive. Right. And glass, so I, glass half full. 
glass half full and glass more than half full because lots of Orthodox rabbis were nowhere near saying that. So we have to find common ground and we have to work with our supporters and those that, like us, want to champion LGBT inclusion. And we do a lot of work with the Orthodox community in shuls, in in schools, in um, Orthodox youth movements, um, which really would have been unthinkable 20 years ago when I was growing up or 30 years ago when I was growing up. Um, So a lot has changed, and that's not been conversations about halakha, about Jewish law, about what the Torah means. It's been conversations about what community means, about what family means, about what people mean to each other. And, you know, there's a lot we can disagree on about halakha and the Torah, but when it comes to being together as a community, actually there's very little we disagree on. So we focus on that. I'm interested, Mickey, in uh, how you respond to um, the kind of approach that Ben's describing and if you feel that this is the way it's working in Israel and the initiatives you're involved in or whether there's a bit of a more combative approach in Israel. I know that, for example, in your role as counsellor, you, you're, you're keen on taking to task rabbis that have been funded in Tel Aviv uh, by public funding who joined that letter of 250 rabbis in support of Rabbi Levenstein, for example. It, it's it's not so much of a constructive engagement approach, perhaps. I do agree, of course, with, with the process issue, and I'm not, and I don't think that uh, that we need to think that everything will be solved in, uh, immediately, and, and, it's, and we know it from our lives. We know it... Uh, from our relations with our families, with our friends, with our communities, and process is something that we do take into account. However, I would I would distinguish between this situation and the fact that we are looking at state-funded rabbis, people who are, you know, they are employees of the state or the city or 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 the institutions of, of the state of Israel, and they find it all completely okay to use their positions in order to incite or speak against different communities, by the way. We're looking at the LGBT community now, but they, the same rabbis spoke horribly against women or against Israeli-Palestinians or others. And, and it comes with a reason. They feel like they're immune to any social critique or, they, or their positions are actually ensured by, by their role as rabbis. And and I think that this is a very different situation. I think that this, if these rabbis were just community rabbis, they were actually giving the power about the community, the entire situation was completely different and, and it would have become a social discussion, a communal discussion rather than such a tense discussion as it is in Israel. I think, I think that I, I fully agree. And when I talk to um, people, other activists in the LGBTQ community in Israel, that when when you're talking about Judaism in Israel, first of all, you're mainly talking about Orthodox Judaism because that's what's allowed and funded by the state, but also you're talking about a state religion. So it's more like our Church of England, mm-hmm. if you like, and it means there's a lot, people feel a lot less free, there's a lot less innovation, there's a lot less variation but also yeah you're talking about state funding you're talking about a liberal democracy and how that how state money taxpayers money is spent and it is a really different situation and these statements that are coming out that we're talking about these kinds of views that are being aired what kind of an impact is it hap- is, is it having mickey on on on, on whom <laughs> well like- I guess on um, on attitudes within Israeli society and 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 felt within the LGBT community. I, f- I feel 
in some way that it makes us stronger, to feel like it makes us more powerful and more um, ensure in where we stand in our society and our ability to fight for our values. And, and I think that in this matter, we kind of won, won the struggle because these people are not legitimate in general Israel, in general public. However, these people are very influential and have a lot of impact in, 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 in very important uh, places or points in Israeli society, such as the army. And the discussion of Rabbi Levinstein was particularly about the army, and of course in the government, and of course in the Knesset. However, in, in, in the social arena in Israel, it's not that homophobia is over, but definitely we're in such better places with almost every mayor in the state of Israel. Uh, it's not cool anymore to be homophobic. Uh, and it's actually very, very dangerous for people's political career. Uh, even those, you know, look at the Jewish home, the, probably the most homophobic party in Israeli parliament, even they kind of they're cautious on, on the way they act on, on issues of LGBT uh, rights. And more so, I would say, the senior political device, um, correspondent of, of Channel 2, Amir Segal, just said on, on, on an interview that that uh, the Jewish home felt or have data that proved that they lost about four seats in the Knesset because of their comments or because of, of the extremists of their party comments on the LGBT issue. I, I mean, I think, you know, you, again, not to talk about one individual, but, uh, but when a mayor says that he won't attend the rally, but he also doesn't condemn the rally and then he goes to, you know, leave something at a memorial. What you've seen, what you see there, that's a politician trying to walk a tightrope because that politician knows that it's not okay to condemn the rally. And politicians have, you know, politicians only get power. We, we have some issues in this country about politicians that put principle above power um, that may or may not ever get elected. This is a big issue with the left wing here. And I think it's a different situation, but, but politicians aren't a good bellwether of what society is thinking. Politicians um, do what they do to try and appeal to as many people as they can while offending as few people as they can. Um, and, 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 and just a, a more general uh, point that... Sorry, sorry, go ahead, Mickey. I, I think on the case of, of, of Nir Balkat, uh, he made a major political mistake as well. I think that... Uh, and, and I think... He, I hope you realize that because... When he said what he said, he didn't only offend the LGBT community, but he also offended many of the liberal religious people within the city of Jerusalem that actually were somehow the power that, that brought him to power because the ultra-Orthodox parties or the ultra-Orthodox voters did not vote for him. Those right. who vote for him were the, the liberal voices of Jerusalem. And, uh, and he miscalculated uh, mis his, his, pol uh, his political and bearing, I think. And, and miscalculations like that can end up being really important for LGBTQ rights. So one of the biggest weapons that people that have had against LGBTQ people is silence and the weapon of fear of speaking up. And what we're now seeing is a breaking of that silence and people being forced to speak up and take positions. If you like, people are being you people are being smoked out right. because you know the, the the weapon of silence is incredibly powerful and it creates fear and it creates fear about conversations. Once people feel they have to speak up and take a position, 
people realize a not very much happens when you speak up mm. and b yeah if this is a if this and if this is a big political miscalculation for someone like Neil Burkett others will not be making that mis miscalculation again although before i feel like the voice it's so funny this doesn't usually happen to me but i feel like i'm the voice of doom in this conversation with the two of you you two optimists uh, <laughs> but i mean i'm just thinking that the deputy mayor of Jerusalem has kind of said now you know, he's making it his business to make sure that there will be no Pride March in Jerusalem next year. Is what, well, do, you, what do you think about that? Maybe the citizens of Jerusalem will make it their business that he won't be mayor again next year. <laughs> what? Um, I, I, th I think it's really... Um, first of all, let's make it, make it very clear. Um, there is a great struggle to go. Like, we're not done with, with fighting for our rights. We're not fi fi done fighting for our uh, role in society. LGBT people in Israel and all over the world, by the way, are not equal, period. And definitely uh, very conservative uh, leaders would keep on using uh, the issue of the LGBT community in order to gain power among, you know, non-progressive non people. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Of course, this is part of the, of, of, the pol, uh, of of the political game. However, I, I really have the feeling that on this particular issue, uh, as opposed to others, um, they're kind of like feel that they are in in, in a position of, of defending their perspective rather than attacking mm -hmm. because they're in minority and polls show it. Like seventy percent of 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 Israelis. Uh, thought what Rabbi Levinson had said was illegitimate. Numbers are really, really high. Um, well, that's really encouraging. And, that's really and, encouraging. But, yeah. but again, it's very important to look at it in the bigger picture. If we're going to keep looking at it only from the LGBT perspective, uh, the Jewish LGBT perspective, we could, you know, we we might feel like, like we are okay at this point, but it's not. It's it's really a fight on character of the state of Israel and if it's going to be a liberal Jewish democracy or a Lachic state. This is the real struggle. This is what actually Rabbi Eliyahu was talking about, Rabbi Ariel, like those are were the issues. So let's remind our audience that topic of, of, of the conference where Rabbi Levinson was, was um, speaking was fighting the reform, uh, the reform danger or the reform uh, phenomenon. Right. I think the important point is the, the Mickey is making is the broader picture in the sense that there's a kind of a, a bit of a clash of civilizations going on about the character of the state of Israel. And actually, you know, who made a very fiery speech about this very point um, last week in the Knesset was uh, Tzipi Livni, actually, in the context of the suspension law that was up for debate. The suspension law, which uh, uh, will allow a majority of uh, Knesset members to suspend another MK for the views that they express, and and she, uh, uh, Mickey, I don't know if you saw the speech, but she gave an yeah, incredibly impassioned speech about just that, saying there's a war here between people who are committed to the vision of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state, uh, as envisaged by the founding fathers, and between those who want to turn it into a halachic state, totally tipping the balance and taking out the democratic aspect. So I, I understand that we're feeling that there are positive attitudes regarding uh, 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 gay rights in Israel, despite all the things that we, all the all the rhetoric that we're hearing. But there is a broader dynamic to be vigilant about. Uh, yeah, and I think it's very important that we push this this uh, thought or idea 
into our discussion because it's a mistake to look at it only from the LGBT perspective, although it's important because those are the people that are being affected the most because I can think of, of LGBT youth, you know, hear this rabbi and what are the implications on their, you know, mental, social perspective over, over them, themselves. But, but at the end of the day, we really need to look at the bigger picture and, and, and this is what we need to aim towards strengthening Israeli, Israel as, as, a, as a liberal Jewish democracy. Otherwise, we're going to, you know, hear two weeks from now a rabbi saying something horrifying against others. And with regards to this effort, Mickey, um, what do you think? You know, I've brought you and Benji together. You hadn't met before, right? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, no. I mean, what do you think, Mickey, um, is the, it could be the role of, of caring Jews in the diaspora and specifically through lenses such as the, you know, such as this lens, the LGBTQ lens um, and areas of concern from that particular angle. What would you like to be seeing more of from diaspora groups in relation to this mm-hmm. kind of clash that we've got going on in Israel? I, I, I would say what I usually say. I think that nowadays to be supportive of the state of Israel means to be supportive of progressive voices within the state of Israel. It does not mean support Israel for everything it stands for, but actually to pick a side, to be part of those who call for a specific Israel. The Israel that you can find in, in the Declaration of, of Independence of the State of Israel. And we very much need for these voices. I feel that the, the strategy or the thought that we still part of, we still part of Israel's strategy that you know, diaspora Jews are part of our security. They're part of our you know general support in the world. And you guys should come to our leaders, those who need your help, those who reach out to you and say, we are with Israel, but we are with a certain Israel. We're not going to be supporting every Israel. The, the Israel of this rabbi is not the Israel I'm willing to support. And you guys, as we are, we have to choose, pick a side. And I'm not going into you know, a certain party or a particular political camp, but I'm definitely speaking on particular values. And this is something very strong, and this is a, a crucial change that uh, the, the Jewish diaspora-Israel relations has to go through. Because those who say today, we are supporting Israel, doesn't really matter what kind of Israel we look at, actually are harming Israel in many ways. Right. Well, that's a powerful thought. Benjamin, do you have any uh, thoughts? Well, I suppose LGBTQ Jews in this country, like other Jews in this country, some will be Zionists and support a state of Israel and some will not be Zionist and may not support the existence of a state of Israel at all. So I wouldn't want um, all Jewish identity necessarily, all LGBT Jews to feel that they have a special connection. But for those LGBTQ Jews who do feel a special connection to Israel, I think like me and um, who spent a lot of time (laughs) there and have family there and I have lived there um, for a period. And I think it's important to strengthen the links. I think it's important to call for those values. I think um, because Jewish identity in the diaspora is more connected with religious identity, it creates some interesting opportunities for conversations about religion and LGBTQ life, which maybe can be a crucible um, and serve as an experimentation um, ground for 
interesting conversations that can um, can influence what's going on in Israel. But LGBTQ Jews, like other Jews, some will unequivocally support everything Israel does regardless. And, um, and many will take a very clear liberal stance that, you know, that, that um, Israel, that, that we have to promote certain values. Um, for Israel, I think a, a lot of us feel wary really about telling Israelis how to run their country. Um, we don't live there, we don't pay taxes there, we don't fight there, we don't live with the consequences. Um, but that's not to say that we don't feel a strong connection. So I think it's as complicated as any other relationship between a, between a diaspora Jew and an, and, an, and, an, and an Israeli citizen. And there you go, Mickey, it's complicated. Sounds like a Facebook status. But <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. You know, it's always complicated. Uh, I, and I completely agree with the complicated issue. But I think that as long as the state of Israel or the official state of Israel somehow in the way it acts um, expects the Jews of the diaspora to stand for, for Israel or those who choose to stand for Israel, I think if we call for a Jewish uh, support, we should know it won't be in any price, like in, in any case. So I think that we need to be standing for a certain values. And, I, and, and, I, and I'll be even more, more specific on this. The conservative right-wing anti-liberal uh, um, people in Israel have a major support of, of uh, Jews in diaspora. A lot of the power of, of the anti-liberal voices or anti-progressive voices in Israel are strongly supported by voices of, uh, in, in coming from diaspora. I can mention, you know, American support, people like Sheldon Adelson and so on, as, 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 as such. And we cannot afford ourselves, people that believe in equal rights for all people, to be kind of like more cautious about what we say about Israel because, of the, uh, because we don't live here, or because you guys don't live here, and so on. I think that that we are in a very crucial point in in, in Israel's existence, in, in Israel's uh, identity, and and as an Israeli, as someone who chooses to live here every day, I can say out loud and publicly, and as loud as I can, we need your help at this point. Right. We so, won't be able to do it by ourselves. I think it's really clear what you're saying, Mickey. You're saying we need people in the diaspora to pick a side, and we need you with us. We need you with us. If you stand for, uh, if you believe in liberal progressive values, we need you to stand with us because because we're 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 in a difficult situation. And I think Benjamin wants to respond so, to that. No, I, I mean I really want to ask a question. So, uh, which is, have we done enough as an LGBTQ community? to create links between diaspora LGBTQ Jews and Israel LGBTQ Jews and other citizens of Israel? Have we done enough to create those connections beyond come to Tel Aviv Pride and have a great time? And I'm not sure we have. Well, that seems like a great starting point. We should, we should start our conversation now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we, we're just starting a conversation. And I think it's a very important point. I think that, you know, I see, you know, as an LGBT activist, I see my responsibility for the state of Israel in a broader perspective. And I think that we as LGBT people can connect on this issue, on, on this identity part of ourselves, and, and, and seriously work together and, and, and 
And I would love to see it more happening. It happens a bit with, with the American Jewish community, not necessarily the way I like it, but it does happen. And I think we can do much more than that. And I think that, uh, that you know, um, LGBT power has, has proven to be very strong when it unites. And not only here, not in the Jewish world, only in the Jewish world, but, but in general. And I think this is a, a major opportunity. This is... Um, this is a community that underwent and still goes um, uh, through a hard situation, but at the same time, many of us are strong enough to stand for our rights. And I think this is the time to, see, to speak up and, and, and to work together. I think it's a great opportunity. So, so, mate, so some stuff that the LGBTQ community could learn perhaps from some of the more... Um, some of the more um, conservative voices that you spoke about that that, that are well networked that are well networked and um, and are well funded and that really see a value in creating strong links and for so you know so you know maybe I'm quite sure there's more that could be done it won't be for every diaspora LGBTQ Jew some are not interested in Israel but many are well I'm happy to have made this initial shidduch <laughs> <laughs> Um, Keshet UK and Be Free Israel watch this space I look forward to hearing about all your fabulous collaborations pushing the bar moving forward I would just say there has never been a time um, certainly in my lifetime and I think probably in history where um, a LGBTQ Jew can be proud of both parts of their identity as much as nowadays and I think 25,000 people turning up and marching in solidarity in Jerusalem is an incredible expression of that. And so for all that there is still a huge battle over the values of Israel and and this is and, and the work is by no means done. Nevertheless, you know, we, we should just take a moment and and just and celebrate what an incredible week this has been. Well thank you so much Benjamin for that uh, beautiful positive ending um and i'm also really encouraged to hear the sort of uh, be the beginnings of uh, thoughts around collaboration and i'll be watching out for that and if there's anything we can do at, at nif uk to facilitate greater collaboration we'll be more than happy to do that mickey you're very 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 busy so thank you so much for joining us at this hectic time thank you and we'll be seeing you soon bye bye bye, -bye. shalom shalom bye bye Thank you for listening to the New Resolve Fund Behind the Headlines podcast.